welcome to Entrepreneur Minds Speak. I'm Lauren, owner of Cremes and Mints, a branding and packaging design agency that specializes in beauty, food, and supplement product businesses. And today I'm honored to introduce Christine Klan, Klan, sorry. It's okay, it's German. <laughs> who will be sharing with us her secrets of formulation and how to, how to create your own custom beauty product. Christine is founder and CEO of Kemi Queen B, a product development and small batch manufacturing company in San Diego, Florida. She has spent the past six years creating hundreds of formulations, including celebrity clients, Ashley Green, Corey's Hummingway PMS patches, and Mike Tyson's oral cannabis spray. Several of her formulations have won notable industry awards. Thank you for joining us today, Christine. We are excited to hear what you have to share. And folks, if you have questions during uh, the presentation, feel free to put them in the chat and we will answer them at the end. All right, Christine, take it away. Thanks so much for that intro, Lauren. Uh, so I'm excited to be here and uh, share knowledge of, of kind of my experiences, the good, the bad, and the ugly going through formulation with a lot of my different clients. Um, I've kind of seen it all. I'd like to think I've seen it all. So, uh, so I really want to be able to get you on the right track to at least if you have an idea or for those of you who have an existing business, I have quite a few people that are just starting a new brand. And then I have other people that have an existing business, a gym, a salon, you know, things like that, or holistic medicine, and they want to be able to sell their own products. And I think that's hugely important, especially after COVID and seeing that, you know, it's really important to be able to have more than one revenue stream for your business. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and get started. So what we're going to talk about, um, I want to give just a little brief history of cosmetics because I think it's kind of good to know where it started and uh, that helps you know where you're going. Um, and then we're going to get into the boring stuff, which is the definition of regulation of cosmetics. But as you know, it's it's crucially important that you're following all the laws to be able to sell in your area. And we'll go into the definitions of a cosmetic versus a drug as indicated by the FDA. And then I'll talk a little bit about California, EU, and the rest of the world, although most of the regulations are pretty similar um, to the FDA, so there's not, there aren't any major, major differences. Um, next, we'll talk about cosmetic formulation ingredients and how, how does research and development work? How do we pick our ingredients? What are the types of products you can have? And getting on the chemistry level, what, how are they made? Uh, and then we're going to go into cosmetic manufacturing and testing. You know, once you get your formulation done, then to be able to get it manufactured, what about labeling, packaging, which of course we bring in Lauren here, uh, and then testing requirements uh, for, for cosmetics and, uh, and labs that, that do testing. And then finally, I'm going to talk about my process that I've used with my clients over the years, and uh, I'll go through my process flow. I'm an engineer, a chemical engineer by trade, so I tend to think on the nerdy, very organized process flow side. Um, but and then I'll mention some of my pricing. You know what I charge for my work, and of course it varies depending on what formulator you work with, uh, or if you go straight to a manufacturing company. Um, and I hope you can see the picture here. These are the PMS patches that we that I did for Ashley. Uh, she was a lot of fun to work with. So. All right, oh, is it not going? Okay, hold on, there we go. All right, so my favorite celebrity, Marilyn Monroe, uh, the history of cosmetics. So just to give you an idea, uh, beauty products, they, you think that some of the history shows based on the jars, that's how people can tell there was historically cosmetics and makeup, uh, was 5,000 years ago in Egypt, they found evidence of old jars, things that held oils, and then a lot of people used milk baths. Um, in fact, Cleopatra, I believe, used 
donkey or jackass milk bath, which is kind of weird, uh, but that was her favorite. And so uh, we've been using them for thousands of years, mostly to you know, improve our skin, give back the nutrients, protect our skin from the elements, uh, especially the sun. And, uh, and so there's been a lot of evidence of this uh, over the course of time. Now in the US, uh, it really wasn't until the 1920s that uh, Hollywood was really the one that started, you know, pushing makeup and cosmetics. And it was mostly done by the makeup artists. You know, they started off as makeup artists, you know, Max Factor is an example. And they were making homemade lipsticks and mascaras for their specific celebrities they were working with. And then also women of color were using a lot of skin bleaching products at the time. Uh, even white women were using them because that whole alabaster look was considered to be, you know, the, the most important. So um, the first beauty product it was actually manufactured for mass production in the U.S. Uh, it was in the 30s, and it was a cold cream. And we'll get into this a little more later when we go into formulation. But uh, a cold cream, by definition, is generally uh, an oil base. So if you think about the noxema that you probably grew up with with your mom, right? Uh, you know how it's really thick. Uh, and you put it on at night, you know, you're not going to wear it out during the day. And so the idea behind a cold cream or a night cream is to really repair your skin while you sleep. And that's where you add nutrients to your skin that can stay on your skin for hours. Um, and, and we'll get into that's really a water and oil formulation, which I'll talk about in the formulation section. Uh, but the idea is to really add nutrients back, repair things while you sleep. And then the second beauty product that once a lot of American women in, in you know, the 30s were using the cold cream, then they said, this is great, but it's really thick and it's, I can't wear it out during the day. So now I want a day cream. I want something that's going to protect me from the elements. So this is where when you're formulating, you want to think about what is the goal? Are you trying to protect someone, which would be more of a, uh, an oil and water emulsion? It's a water-based type cream. And it's going to go easier on your skin, but we can put things in there to protect you from the sun, smog, all those kinds of things. Or are you trying to do something that's more oil-based that's going to push those nutrients through your skin to, for aging or to repair things or, you know, eczema, acne, those types of things. So it really depends on what you're trying to make. You need to know, do you want a water base or an oil base? Uh, and then what's been interesting is, you know, and I see a lot of people that say, oh, I'm going to make my own. And that's great if you have a chemistry background. But in general, if you remember anything, you know that oil and water don't mix. And so I literally spend my life trying to get oil and water to mix. Uh, and so in order to do that, we have to uh, add all sorts of fun things to be able to get them to stay together. And then even if I can mix them together and, and make a beautiful lotion, they can separate. If you've ever made this on your own, you probably had that experience where things will separate, uh, just like oil and vinegar dressing, you know, you, and you, nobody wants to buy something that looks all separated in a jar. So uh, it's really important for shelf life, especially in this day and age where we're shipping things globally, that you have a very stable emulsion that's, that's not going to fall apart uh, after a couple of weeks or, you know, even a couple months. You want it to stay, you know, the same as when it was bottled. And of course, then we also have to think about things like microbiology, you know, microbiology and making sure that there aren't any, anything in your lotion that you don't want to be there. Uh, Cause certainly someone could get sick, um, especially in water-based formulations. It's really important to avoid micro microbiology. And then uh, it's been interesting because, because of this reason, and because over the last century, we they've been mass producing more and more, 
now things are shipping further. So unfortunately, that means we've taken a lot of the natural ingredients out. And now even more of your natural brands, you have to watch because they will have chemical additives in there, not necessarily bad ones, but ones that aren't considered as natural because of being able to keep that stability in that shelf life. And, uh, and that's the hardest part is keeping these things. You make a beautiful product and you've got to keep it together. So that's always kind of the toughest part. All right. All right. Now the not so exciting part. Okay. So, but I think a lot of you really, you know, want to know at least the basics of this. So the definition by the FDA, and of course that's our U.S. regulating body for cosmetics, uh, the Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetics Act uh, defines things as either a cosmetic, a drug, and then I didn't go into soap. Soap is its own category. The good news about soap is it's not regulated really, but it has to be a true saponification reaction. So most of you, if you've ever bought, you know, stuff for your face that says it's cleanser, a lot of times it's a mixture and it's not actually a real soap. Um, you can tell it's a soap by the, by the ingredients. Uh, it'll make it clear that it's actually a true soap. Uh, but there, I put some links here so you can read some of these articles. Uh, but the most important thing to know is if you're making a cosmetic, and that's really where you want to be, if you go into the drug scene, you've created a whole lot of regulatory issues for yourself. So what's the difference? A cosmetic, by definition, it says it's an article intended to be rubbed, poured, sprinkled, sprayed, some methodology, onto, you know, into or onto the body for cleansing, beautifying, promoting attractiveness, or altering the appearance. All of those are considered cosmetics. Now, when we get into things that um, claim have medical claims, and an example would be sunscreen. A lot of people will say, oh, I wanna make a lotion, then I wanna make one with sunscreen. I'm like, no, you don't. You don't wanna make one with sunscreen. And the reason is because if you're making a claim, uh, which is what a drug is, uh, you have to show evidence that that claim is valid, which means you have to do testing. You may have to do clinical trials. You're introducing a new drug as far as the FDA is concerned. So a drug by the FDA's definition is articles intended for use in diagnosis, cure, mitigation, treatment, or prevention of disease. So as long as you're careful, and this is where the wording is, is really important and your labeling and your packaging is important because if you're saying, this is going to, um, you know, hydrate. Hydration is the best word you can use on packaging and on uh, hydration does not trigger the drug laws. But uh, for example, we saw this with CBD. If you're saying, hey, if you add this to your, if you add, have CBD in your skincare and, oh, it's going to, you know, help with eczema or something like that, it's going to cure your acne. Boom, you've now triggered a drug. And now you have to spend thousands and thousands of dollars proving that what you made is exactly what you're claiming. So I always encourage people, this is a road you don't want to go down. It's certainly not in the beginning. So you want to, you know, do cosmetics, makeup, any of those things where you can say it hydrates, it smooths your skin, uh, clarifies your skin, you know, things like that. Those are all acceptable. But when you start to say it'll cure your eczema or your acne, now you've crossed into making a medical claim. Uh, so another thing I've run into as well is that uh, there's a lot of ingredients. Most of the there's a very small list of forbidden ingredients, and uh, and certainly if you go to some of these sites, you'll see you can find that list easily. Most people don't use them. I don't use any of them. I purposely use natural ingredients every chance I get for two reasons. Number one, 
Um, I have, you know, I have people that are on having chemotherapy. I have the children that, you know, my the mom's putting a lotion on. I don't know what, where that product's going to end up. And I don't know that it isn't going to end up on a child or on an immunocompromised person. So I think it's really important to avoid any things that could cause rashes, any things that, you know, you can use, but you can only use in certain amounts. I try to make sure I just avoid all this ingredients altogether and go with as natural as possible. Now, it does make formulation more difficult because in order to get that shelf stability, a lot of these chemicals have been added. So you have to get a little more creative, um, but that's why it's important. I think if you are into holistic medicine or you're into the more natural to find a formulator that does natural, because we understand we have to jump through more hoops to make that that stable, but then we don't have to deal with any of the regulatory issues. And an example of that is I had uh, lip balms that I was making and I wanted to tint those lip balms. Uh, now it turns out I'm welcome to use dyes. I can use red dye number 40 to make a beautiful bright red lip balm. But as soon as I use red dye number 40, now the FDA wants me to file my recipe and they want to take months to review it. And now they want to make sure my amounts are correct. I have to give them all my information or I can just use natural micas, which isn't gonna give me quite the bright red color. But if I use natural micas in that lip balm, then I don't have to worry about any of those regulations because it was derived from a natural source and all of those things are acceptable. So I would highly, you know, when you're thinking about what you wanna make, natural is definitely the better way to go for most of your ingredients. Now, as far as, um, different country regulations. And of course, I'm most familiar with the FDA. Uh, the FDA says if you're a co you have got a cosmetics brand uh, or products that they encourage you to register, but it's not required. And most small brands don't register with the FDA. Usually your manufacturer is registered with the FDA because they have to be. And that's really how most people get their, their things started is they, they go to the manufacturer and then the manufacturer has them covered under the FDA laws. This is the reason why on your labeling, you always put where it was manufactured because the liability is with the manufacturer. And that keeps you from having to have liability insurance and product insurance. Those are things that your manufacturer has to maintain to, uh, to stay you know, on above board with the FDA. Um, following CGMP requirements, is important and I have a little, what is CGMP down here? So uh, good manufacturing practices. Um, you know, I've worked, I've spent my career working in, I worked in biotech, pharma. So, uh, you know, clean rooms for drugs, obviously we don't need clean rooms for cosmetics. However, it's really important. Uh, sterility is important and obviously making sure your raw materials, you have C of A's, you know, certificates, you know, that say, hey, this was tested. This is good to use. It doesn't have any lead in it. It doesn't have any heavy metals, any, any bad things in it. And so that's where your manufacturer typically is going to be the, the, the group that has the CGMP certification. And they have to obey by facility rules. You know, what are um, things like safety, obviously, but cleanliness is a big part of that you know, having a cleaning protocol and all those types of things is really important in a manufacturing facility. So when you're looking for a manufacturer, you want to make sure on their main page, it says, you know, they're CGMP certified to, to, to do all this, because that tells you that they have a quality system in place. It also means that if there was ever a uh, recall, they handle that for you, because if something had to get recalled, it's on them that they put something in there they shouldn't have. So it's really important to keep things clean, 
keep documents properly, record everything you do, have employees sign off. And those are all things you don't want to have to worry about when you're launching a beauty brand. So you want to find the right people to help you. Now, in California, the laws are pretty similar. I, you know, they follow FDA and they basically say, hey, you, as long as you're following FDA rules, that's fine. You can do cottage beauty, meaning you could make it at home. However, you still have to have your own uh, quality system. So even though maybe it's not as big as a manufacturer, you better have a quality book. You better have a uh, policy. You better have procedures, batch records, all of those things, cleaning procedures for yourself if you want to make it at home because they can come in and inspect you. Uh, so in, I generally tell people it's not a great idea to make it yourself. Uh, soap being the exception because it's so unregulated that it's uh, because true soap is is really, you know, someone be hard to, to mess it up. So uh, and so California, again, you don't have to register your brand or anything like that. And again, your manufacturer would have you covered under all the California laws if you're in, in California. But most of the states pretty much follow the FDA guidelines. I haven't really seen anything. The only exception would be California has some weird chemicals that they put on a list saying, hey, we think these could cause cancer. But uh, and it could be you have one part per million, it might cause cancer. And none of the other states have those chemicals on the list, nor does the FDA. So an example of that would be myrcene. Uh, it's a cannabis terpene, but uh, it's great to add to beauty formulations. I used to add it to beauty formulations uh, because it's a very calming and, and it can definitely calm your skin. So if you have eczema or sensitive skin, however, uh, and even though it's in cannabis and people smoke it all the time, they found that in large quantities, myrcene may or may not cause cancer. So therefore it's now on the list for California, Prop 65. And therefore I had to take it out of all my formulations. Uh, so those are things I tend to keep up with and manufacturers, big manufacturers keep up with to make sure we, we know what chemicals uh, are on, you know, have moved, suddenly moved to the forbidden list or specifically the California forbidden list. Um, as far as Europe and the rest of the world, uh, EU is very similarly regulated, Canada as well, they have different regulating bodies, but for the most part, it's very similar regulations. You know, they have their own cleanliness, quality protocols, but it's pretty good, pretty translatable across most countries. Uh, Muhammad, I don't know about the Middle East. I honestly can't say I've, I've worked with that, that part of the world yet. Uh, so depending on, you know, you might have different regulations there or in even, you know, I've been to Africa a couple of times and they don't have a lot of beauty products. So they, you may have a situation where you have an up and coming uh, a country where they're just now getting into it and deciding what the regulations are. So those are certainly things that you'll want to look into for that particular country. But FDA is a pretty good standard uh, for the rest of the world. And so uh, I'm not too worried that there's any major differences, just knowing what the forbidden ingredients are and, uh, you know, things that you shouldn't be using. But again, people that are helping you should know these things and shouldn't be putting uh, really wacky things in your formulation. So, so that's why it's good to have experts because it's our job to know what we can, when we can say, hey, you can't add that ingredient or we can't emulsify it this way because that's not acceptable. All right, so we're gonna get into the cosmetic formulation ingredients and ingredients. So the first thing you really wanna do, first of all, find an expert because trying to do it yourself, you know, in your kitchen, especially making your own formulation, I don't recommend. 
Um, I've had a lot of clients that have come to me with kind of a hot mess. And then I've had to, you know, I can certainly get it and be a lot better. Um, unless you're the type that likes to play around in the kitchen and then it's fine to mess around a little bit, but keep in mind that there's a lot to know uh, in keeping these emulsions together. And it takes a lot of chemistry and, you know, in my case, chemical engineering and years of experience to really be good at, at being able to do this well. So the most popular products that you're probably seeing are uh, oil and water emulsions. So they're mostly made of water, as you've seen the first ingredient on the, on the back would say water. And uh, these are also gonna be generally your cheaper products because if I can put mostly water, then I'm not spending a fortune on the other ingredients. Uh, your day lotions, um, even night creams, some of them are in fact um, oil and water emulsions. And what that means is it means that the water is the main, your solvent, it's your main thing. And then the oil is being emulsified and dispersed into the water. And so if you think about a lotion, you know, or something like that, uh, or even an age serum, I have a little bit of oil and a lot of water that I, and I have to get, you know, all of those things to mix to where it stays nice and creamy and fluffy and it doesn't all fall apart. Um, and so toners and sprays, but because these are water emulsions, you have to have preservatives, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. Um, now you have water and oil emulsions. So these are gonna be, like I said, more to add nutrients back to your skin, the night creams, retinol creams, those kinds of things. Generally you want them thicker and you wanna to have, to have them oil-based. Um, so facial oils, body butters, uh, salves, roll-ons, those are almost all entirely oil-based. That makes them more expensive, but they also last longer uh, in general. And, uh, and you don't have to worry nearly as much about preservatives. Uh, I add very little water. I, have, I make roll-ons. I add very little water to those roll-ons. I do a little bit just to make it get to, into your bloodstream faster. Um, and that's part of it is making it bioavailable. So the challenge with oil emulsions is that oil, your, you know, your bloodstream, your skin, there's a lot of water there. So in order to get it, to go into your skin and then into your bloodstream or you know to be able to bring those nutrients to you then you usually have to think about um you know you don't have to worry about preservatives but you've got to make sure that these particles are small enough so uh so i tend to mix really well body butters and and, and do over mixing on things just to make sure and i add a tiny little bit of water as well just so that you know when you put that roll on on uh, there's a little bit of water in there that says, oh, hey, I'm going to go right into the skin and then it takes the oil with it. So those are things that you want to think about in terms of your products and, and the types they are. Um, as far as research, so the first step really to formulation, at least for me, which I'll get into in a couple minutes, is uh, reading peer-reviewed scientific papers. You know, most manufacturers don't do this. They have their standard stuff, their private label, and then they might do custom uh, but generally they have a big slew of private label recipes, the big manufacturers, and they want you to decide on something that they kind of already have, right? It makes it easier for them. And their goal is to push bottles out the door. Uh, that's a, keep in mind, that's your manufacturer's goal. If they're a big manufacturer, they're going to want to push bottles out the door. They're not as interested in creating a unique formulation because that's a lot more work for them when they have to go and manufacture. So this is where going to a formulator is important because I can do things on a small scale uh, and get these formulations done. And then we can scale them up to manufacturing to, so that it's not a crazy difficult process, but, uh, but you usually get a better product because a formulator is gonna do research. So you know, I'm checking all the major you know, websites. I, in fact, yesterday I spent about four hours researching um, baby massage oil and what ingredients are safe and what dosages are safe and what is the 
or is there clinical trial data on infants that have been massaged with these things? And so I dig down deep into these peer-reviewed papers and, uh, and I, I try to glean everyone else's research. Um, you know, so there's a lot of people starting to add things, you know, CBD, cannabinoids, ashwagandha. Uh, we've got, you know, um, let's see what else. Mushrooms are getting popular now, lion's mane, reishi. So as we're going to start adding those things to cosmetics, we need to know what the dosing is to make sure that we haven't turned this into something that's going to cause a problem for you. Uh, the second thing I do, uh, you know, I obviously check government regulations, but also shop regulations. I saw this with um, CBD, with Sephora and Ulta. It turns out you can put CBD products into those stores, but only if you use full spectrum, uh, a broad spectrum CBD distillate. You cannot use CBD isolate. So this would be a situation where if you already knew you wanted to go into Sephora with a CBD product, then it would be good to know those things up front because you would hate to have your formulator use a different type of CBD, get you all the way to manufacturing, manufacture a bunch of stuff, and then find out, hey, I didn't follow the rules of Sephora and Ulta. Now I can't put my things in those shops. And that goes for Amazon as well. You know, they have certain rules and regulations. So uh, those are things that helps for you to know. But I also check into those if you tell me, hey, I want to, I ultimately want to sell here, then I'm going to check and make sure that I'm not doing anything that's going to prevent you from selling. Um, and then I always look at your best competitor. Because, you know, usually everyone has a goal of what they're trying to reach. They have a picture, a brand, and they'll say, hey, I want to be like this, this brand. And then I, I read up, I dig in, I look at the ingredients, and I read the reviews, and I read the good ones and the bad ones, because the ultimate goal is to bring out a product that's going to be better than your competitor. And so I always try to make sure I read the bad reviews, because that gives us a really good idea of how to, you know, bring you out. You know, people say, oh, this was okay, but it really dried my skin out. And then, of course, we're going to make sure yours doesn't do that and yours is going to be better than, than your competition that you're trying to beat. Um, the next stage is going to be development. So at this point is where I've gleaned all that information. I know what ingredients you've told me you wanted. I know what ingredients I need to add to get it to work right. And then at that point, I, I create a matrix that just says, okay, we're going to go through and start making samples. And, uh, and it's going to be, you know, and then I vary it. I usually will make about four samples each round and, uh, and I you know, vary the amounts of water, oil, vary some of the essential oils, different ingredients we add, ashwagandha, you know, all these different ingredients that you might want. And we kind of vary them and we're looking to get, you know, not just something that you like, but the texture, the smell, you, know, you think about all those things that come into beauty that are important. And, um, and I, I, I kind of have to laugh because I've noticed um, that I, I have, the, men, the men that I've worked with that have made beauty products, they don't seem to be as aware of what the, of the smell issue. And so a lot of times even um, pain products will just smell like your grandma's been gay, you know, that horrible, horrible smell. And so I think even those things we have to think about is, you know, I'm not going to put that on my body as a woman. I'm not going to go out in public smelling like my grandma. And so, you know, those are the things you want to think about too, is even things like the scent can be a turn on or a turn off. Uh, we can certainly go scentless, but that's kind of difficult because some of these things have a natural, a slight natural scent to them, even your oils do. Uh, so those are things we have to keep in mind. But if you're working with people with severe allergies and you don't want a scent, then it's important to know that too, so we can leave any of those things out. And then, uh, and then as, you know, as those samples are being made, procedures are being created, and then those first round of samples are going out to you and, 
and your group to be able to try them and then make good feedback for us. So I think if you really find a good formulator, they need to follow the scientific process. You know, they need to create these samples, gather the data, create your samples, and then get the feedback from you. Hey, I love number one A, and I love this about D. I hated B and C, they were horrible. I want it more like this for the next round. And then we do a couple rounds of R&D where we're getting that feedback from you. And you're saying, oh, I love the texture of this one, but I love the smell of this one. And, and so that's ultimately what your formulator should do for you is to get you closer and closer to that ultimate product that you really are happy and thrilled and you're ready to launch it to the world. And then finally, ingredients, using approved suppliers. So this is where, uh, you know, going with someone that has a quality management program and is following the FDA laws, we, uh, I have approved suppliers. I, I make people jump through hoops if they want to be my approved supplier. And I check their, you know, their procedures. And I'm actually headed to audit a manufacturer in a couple of weeks, um, not too far from, from San Diego. And I go, I, because I have experience and have worked for so many FDA regulated companies, I go in and I audit people and, uh, and, and that gives them some good feedback, you know, as to, hey, these documents need work or your, your people aren't following the procedures that they're supposed to be following. Those are all things that are important. And part of that is continuous improvement in the manufacturing facility. And that's true for me even more as a formulator uh, and a very small manufacturer is I wanna make sure that I have this list of my go-to people that I've worked with, I trust. I know that I've checked all their boxes and I feel safe and comfortable referring you to them as a bigger manufacturer. All right. Okay. And then the manufacturing and testing part. Um, so really manufacturers, most of your bigger ones are going to start uh, 500 bottles per SKU minimum. Uh, so where, where I try to help people out is doing the formulation, but also creating, I call them prototypes because it kind of gets me out of hot water with regulations, but I can make smaller batches. And those are your prototypes. That's your first round. Those are the ones you're going to send to your influencers, the ones you're going to have your mom try. And you're going to get that feedback before you're ready to commit to these bigger 500,000, 5,000 jar batches. Uh, most of the manufacturers charge by the SKU. And so every single different formulation is a SKU. If you had a massage oil that had one different ingredient in it, those are two different SKUs. So if you have one that has turmeric, one that doesn't, two different SKUs. And so most big manufacturers are going to say, oh, you can't mix a match because that's two separate preps for us. So you have to order 500 jars of each of those massage oils. So just keep that in mind. Um, I always tell people it's great to launch two to three products, but sometimes you can only afford to do one and doing one well is better than doing two or three poorly. Uh, and also, can you afford to buy you know, a thousand jars of three products from the beginning? Um, most manufacturers, when you go there, they'll say, okay, we've got a four month lead time, four to six months is typical. They uh, will do a quick R&D for you, make a couple of samples to make sure you're happy. If you said, yeah, I like this night cream, but I want to add ashwagandha. I always like to go to ashwagandha because it's become so popular. And uh, at that point, then, you know, now they're going to make some samples for you. But then at that point, when you say, yeah, this is great, or I need a little bit of a change, then you've got to put 70% down, which you'll pay up front because they have to get all the ingredients. They have to source them. They have to get them delivered. They have to quarantine them. They have to check the C of A. So there's a lot that goes into the manufacturing piece of it to make sure they're following all the laws. And the biggest thing with the big manufacturers is you do not own your recipe. And I can't stress this enough because of the fact that 
I've had, I bet half my clients come from manufacturers where either the manufacturer went out of business, that's been a big issue. Uh, so their recipe's gone. And they, even though they paid for the jars, they didn't pay for the recipe. And so now they don't have a recipe. Now they have to come to me. Well, if I have to recreate something, it's going to cost a lot more uh, than it is if I were to have created it uniquely for you in the first place, if I'm trying to re-engineer something, because it's, you, we now have this, this jar of something that you want. And it's like, I have to make it exactly like that with only an ingredients list. And that's very difficult if you don't know the procedure and all that. Um, so it's really important to ask, you know, when you go to a big manufacturer, do I own my recipe? Do, am I getting my recipe out of this? Because I've seen a lot of people end up in a bad place because of that. Um, the next important thing is labeling and packaging, because again, this is what can get you into hot water or not. And, um, and of course I've worked with people in cannabis. So I've seen all sorts of, I've had to deal with this on a much higher level, you know, cannabis does testing. So every single batch has to be within plus or minus 10%. Everything has to be on the up and up, of course, in California and other states. And so I'm very familiar with making sure everything is on point and it's going to test perfectly. Luckily, with cosmetics, you don't have to test your products. The only time you have to test is if you're basically going into the drugs, the drug scene instead of the cosmetic scene. Um, so, oh, yeah. Oh, five. Okay. And then uh, so where I wanted to bring this up, Lauren can help you with packaging. Uh, and then also, you know, making sure what, what I typically do is give you the FDA wording to put on your package and then your labeling and graphics people, you know, graphics people will actually do it for you. But what's important is to talk to Lauren about packaging because before you commit to 500 or 1,000 jars for the simple fact that let's say you're doing a foaming cleanser. Well, depending on that type of jar and, you know, how much air gets, you know, into the jar is gonna depend on how I make that batch and how much water is in that batch. So it's really important to test out your packaging in the prototype phase before you've committed to thousands of jars, you get all the way to manufacturing and it doesn't pump. I mean, what if you made it a serum that was too thick to pump and now you have no product? So these are all important things. So it's important to try out stuff really before you commit to the big stuff. And then again, only for regulated active ingredients, which you have to test, and things like sunscreen, mosquito repellent, active compounds, because all of those are making claims. All right, and then finally, this is kind of my process uh, to talk about in pricing. I think it's important for you to know, you know, what does this cost me to work with a formulator? Uh, so the first step, as I mentioned, researching client competitor ingredients, peer-reviewed journals, checking all the ingredient compliance before we get started and making my matrix so that I'm ready to say, okay, everything on here is gonna be good. And then I'm going to develop it, make my R&D matrix. I typically make samples, uh, two to five rounds of R&D, depending on if it's private label, something I've already done the R&D on, and I'm just changing an ingredient or two, or something that you bring to me that's completely custom. Ashley Green's patches were completely custom. Mike Tyson's spray, completely custom, and the, you know, the flavor as well. But I do have a lot of private label uh, things, so certainly you don't have to start from scratch and it is cheaper to go with, with private label. Uh, packaging and prototypes, finalizing the labeling, choosing your packaging. And then I tend to, for my clients, I produce about hundred prototypes for you. And again, I call them prototypes. And that way um, it's your final version. You get them shipped to you in your packaging. You can try your labels out. You can take pictures, you can post it on social, get the hype going without having to commit to the big manufacturer yet. And then finally, turning over your recipe, which is what I make sure you have 
and we sign we sign papers saying you own the recipe and your batch and then I don't just give you the recipe I give you the batch records for manufacturing so that way if you were to go to hand it to a manufacturer it's ready to be scaled up it's ready for you to make you know four gallons five gallons ten gallons of it and and bottle all that and then turning over the document package and then I refer you to my manufacturers you know if you if because I've worked with some people I feel I can trust. Um, so I, my, my really for a private label, typically I charge around $3,000 per SKU. And the idea is, you know, I have a cleanser, I have a toner, uh, I have an age serum, I have a night cream. So as long as I'm and I have a spray, that's a pretty cool relaxing spray that you just kind of spray on your face. I also have roll-ons, salves, a lot of the oil-based things as well. So if it's something I've already created, then I would typically charge you around 3000 to add your specific ingredients. And then I usually do around three rounds of R&D. Um, if you were to say, hey, I want two massage oils, so I would charge you 3000 for the first. And if I'm only changing what I'm putting in at the blend, like the ashwagandha, we're changing it to, you know, reishi, then I would only charge you an additional $1,000 for that separate skew to formulate that recipe for you. If we're going completely custom, like an oral cannabis spray or something really wacky that isn't, you know, I don't already have, then that typically is going to cost you around $5,000 per skew. Um, and then also if I have to re-engineer uh, something that you brought to me, that's going to cost around 5,000 because it takes about five rounds. So it's about a thousand dollars a round for R and D. And then I usually throw in all the research for free. So hopefully that gives you an idea um, on that. Most formulators I charge around 150 to 200 per hour. There's formulators that are charged, you know, hundred. Then there's, I, I know formulators right down the road that charge 400 an hour. So it really depends on who you're working with and, and their experience as well. And then this, finally, this is a little bit about me. So my company um, officially was founded in November, unofficially in October, 2019, of course, right before COVID. Uh, although I'd already had a company I'd been working with some partners with, uh, they kind of wanted to go a different direction, more of the less natural Walmart type of cosmetics. And I said, nope, I am not a Walmart girl. We're going to Sephora and we're keeping it clean and quality. So that's what I make. Uh, so my company is 100% woman owned. I have two degrees in chemical engineering and I've been, I've got 25 years experience, not specifically working with beauty, but formulating in industry, FDA, all those goodies. Uh, and I also taught in academia when my son was, was little. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a member of American Mensa as well as American Chemical Society. And I've spoken at, uh, I spoke in last year's uh, March convention in San Diego. And I'm also a proud member of Hera Hubs. So if we have any ladies out there that are looking for, uh, you know, women, business, entrepreneur support, they've been great to me. I know Lauren recently joined. That's how we met. And so I highly encourage you to get started as soon as you can. Meet those, get your support team, find your information. And that way you really feel like you have other people that have been down this road already and you're not alone because that's a big part of it is not feeling like you're completely alone. And, uh, and there are, we're here to help you, you know, and, and so keep that in mind. We really want to be able to get you started, get you going and help you avoid the pitfalls of, like I said, going to a manufacturer, not being totally happy with your formulation and then not owning the recipe. And I get that a lot. So I think it's really important to find someone who gets you and who understands what you're trying to achieve and has experience doing that type of formulation. And then they can always help you scale to a larger manufacturer when you're ready. And so that's pretty much what I wanted to talk about. Um, the one thing I think I did miss is there were a couple of the chemistry things uh, where we were gonna talk about um, what is a surfactant? What is you know an emulsifier? So without getting into a lot of the details, these are things that you're gonna have to add to be able to get the oil and water to mix. 
And there's so many different choices out there. It just really depends on the formulation. And that's really why you want an expert to do it for you. Uh, polymers are often added. Hyaluronic is an example. Hyaluronic is great because we know it helps. Uh, what it does is it plumps because it kind of fills with water. It's a little polymer that gets fat with water. And so it's great for age serums, uh, but it also helps to gel that age serum so that it's more of a gel than a lotion. And so all of these are different ingredients that you may or may not want to add, but it gets pretty complex. Um, and so, and then preservatives. Uh, I tend to use the most benign, like food preservatives is what I tend to use because I know they're safe for cause, they're, they're very safe for cosmetics and they're also very safe for food. So I think it's important to make sure you're using the right preservatives as well. Uh, and again, that's where an expert can help you. Uh, all of us know what those ratios need to be. The worst thing is to go get something made, open it up a month later and it's covered in mold or bacteria. Nobody wants to see that. Um, and so I, I did it one time. I didn't put my preservatives in. I got interrupted on just a quick little batch I was making. And sure enough, a month later, I got to open it up and I was like, oh no, I must not have added my preservatives. So, uh, so it was just, a, it was for myself. It was like a batch for Christmas, you know, for friends and family. Uh, but yeah, so it's really important to make sure that you're, you, you know, you have someone that understands exactly what those need to be and that that way you're safe. The most important thing is to not hurt anybody. And you certainly don't want to have a recall or get on the FDA's radar. The FDA won't notice you until you become a big player. And so, um, and so it's really important to just not be noticed at all by the FDA. And that's really the best way to go. So, so um, yeah, we can definitely get to the questions if, you're, if you guys are ready. And feel free to unmute yourself to ask questions. <laughs> Yeah, I have a question. Yes. So um, I just wanted to verify that a fragrance such as like perfumes would also be considered under the beauty industry and doing the formulation and everything you said with the other beauty products that are generally for skincare. Right? Yes. Yes, they are. Yeah. Perfumes definitely are under uh, cosmetics and, uh, and those tend to be more alcohol based. You know, it's a water, but it's an alcohol base. Uh, but absolutely, there's really no uh, special rules around perfume. Now, I do know I think in France and some other places that are pretty fancy about the perfumes, you know, they will have a perfumer who has spent years just being a perfumist. Uh, but I think that that's, and that's great if that's all you're going to do, or if you're in a country that says, hey, you have to have someone with a certification. But to my knowledge, there isn't a specific one that you need to do perfume. It's just, a, it's a cosmetic, just like anything else. Okay. Is that something you've worked on before or have experience with? Yes, actually, it's funny you ask. I, I was recently working on an R&D for myself. I was trying to recreate Happy and Chanel. <laughs> and so, because uh, I was like, okay, what if I, and then what if I blend them? Like, what would happen? So I've been playing around with some of those, uh, yeah, in my lab. It's been fun. I, I have a thing, I, 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 I kind of joke about Fridays being, Friday afternoons in my lab are supposed to be the time for innovation. It's so easy to forget to innovate. And uh, when you get busy doing client work, and so I try to spend Friday afternoons you know, shut out all the noise and I go in and if I've read a recent paper and I want to try a new thing or a new ingredient, um, I have a guy that just, he sent me some stuff and then he sent me some cool other stuff I've never tried. So I'm like, Hey, what if I had this? And, and that's really the way that we learn. And we, you know, uh, one of my, uh, prickly pear butter, I, I, I got a hold of prickly pear butter and I'm finding that for, you know, it's very popular in Morocco and places where you have horrible sun and horrible wind or like California, which I'm finding out if you're outside of San Diego, it's the desert. And so if you live in the desert, something like prickly pear butter is fantastic as an ingredient. Um, I also use shea butter, but you know, again, depending on if I'm trying to make it light and protecting versus you know, uh, really hydrating. So 
those are things, you know, some cool, fun, new ingredients that I'm always trying to discover and play around with. Okay, thank you. And then let's see. Um, yeah, and the UK rules definitely are tougher, but I will say this, they're not too bad. Um, you know, I know that there's been, for example, titanium dioxide, we still allow that in our food and our cosmetics here. Uh, the EU has banned titanium dioxide from food, and I'm, I think they're going to ban it from cosmetics if they haven't already. Uh, and so titanium dioxide, if you, if you remember, if you grew up in the 80s like I did, the zinc oxide on your nose, you know, that we used to wear, you know, as a sunscreen. Um, zinc oxide is, is a great sunblocker uh, as a natural sunblocker. Uh, however, you have to put so much of it in the formulation, it just comes out of the white paste. So most people that end up doing sunscreen have to use more toxic chemicals. And I don't know if you've seen, I've seen a lot of the warning letters just in this past year alone to major players in the sunscreen game that have been got, gotten FDA warning letters because what happens is these are benzene derivatives. And of course, when it breaks down, it creates benzene, which we know to be carcinogenic. And so I prefer zinc oxide because I don't want to deal with any of these benzene derivatives. Uh, but titanium dioxide was kind of a co-sunscreen, like you could use zinc oxide and titanium dioxide, but now they're saying, no, it's really not good for you. So I took it out of any of my formulations as well. Uh, so I try to keep up with a little bit on the EU, but, uh, but certainly it's not my, my expertise, but, uh, but we could certainly look at those laws if someone is in the EU and wants to, you know, or wants to sell there. But I highly encourage you to, to, you know, find out more information about the laws where you are, because, you know, just making sure you start off, you do that before you start formulating and you end up uh, having to reformulate, that's not any fun. So do your research first <laughs> and then do your formulation second. So. We have a few more questions in the chat. Gotcha, okay. Um, yeah, so I would recommend, um, I would recommend private label. I think, uh, you know, if you want to start out, I wouldn't, unless you have a totally unique thing, private label is the way to go. What that means is, you know, like I have a massage oil and I have a massage oil base, which I've formulated over the last couple of years. And it is an amazing massage oil. And then if you say, hey, I want to add these three ingredients to it, it's going to cost you less. And it's also going to be easier for manufacturing, which is going to cost you less. And it's just going to be a great place to start without having to get into the custom and the really complex you know, multiple, multiple rounds of R&D. So definitely private labels the way to go. And then if you do well with that, you could certainly add another SKU or you could say, hey, I want to make a new product, but I want it really unique. I'm going to go for custom now that I've been down this road the first time. Okay, let's see what else. So yeah, typically, like I said, uh, for formulation, um, you know, you're looking at three to $5,000 per SKU. So if you started with one product, $3,000, um, and then for manufacturing, it really depends uh, on the manufacturer and the minimum. So, but I'd say, honestly, if you're planning to manufacture big 500 bottles, you're going to need 10 grand just to walk into that manufacturer and, and you have to put down 70% generally. So uh, that's why I work with a lot of clients. Most of the big manufacturers don't want to work with startups because you don't have money. And um, as a startup, unless you, you do, but most startups don't have a lot of money. So that's where I try to help my clients by doing those prototypes so you got your formulation, but you don't have to go to the big manufacturer. I can make a couple hundred for you. So you can get them on the shelf, get them out there, get the hype going, and then get some money coming in. And now you can afford to jump to the big manufacturer and get like 500 or a thousand, but it is hard. It's a big commitment. So I think starting off small is really important so that, you know, 
um, you know, I can do all that for 5,000 or less for you rather than you having to, you know, drop 10. I mean, I know people that walk in and drop 50,000 at a manufacturer um, with, you know, uh, typically just so you know, your retail price, usually about a fourth of that to about 25% of whatever you want to retail it for. If you want to retail it for hundred dollars, which might be again, pricey. Uh, but if you want to retail it for $100, then you better not have more than $25 in the bottle, including the bottle and the label. And a lot of your bottles, so if you want a $20 product on the market, that means $5 is all you have in the bottle, ingredients, all of it, including your packaging and labeling. It's very hard to do. So keep that in mind that you've got to check your price points too, you know, to make sure that you aren't pricing yourself so low that you're not going to make any money. Um, but also that you're not pricing yourself so high that you're, you know, you're not going to sell anything either. So uh, it really depends on what your brand, are, are you going for the high end? Are you going more for the middle end? You know, those types of things. Oh, and then uh, what do we recommend? Oh, advice and consultation for um, label and publishing products. So um, typically, yeah, usually someone who's a compliance person, like I will create the, I'll give you the ingredients list and I'll tell you everything that needs to be on your label, but then your graphic designer would put it on there for you. Um, and that's what a, most manufacturers will do. Some of them will print your labels, but not, not always. It's usually better for us not to do that because if you have a change, now it's gotta be reprinted and the manufacturer, we have to deal with it instead of your graphic designer. So we usually prefer for you to ship us your labels uh, but we give you the information that needs to go on those labels. Um, what can you recommend for packaging? So yeah, I think I think you're right. It's you know when I think about private label, right? You think about the ugly jar, the plastic jar. So I think really you know figuring out exactly what your brand is. Who are you marketing to? You know, and if it's you know what do those people look like and what kind of price point do they have? You know, I think putting things in glass. Uh, you know, when you have the opportunity instead of plastic, things like that can really make something look nicer. And actually, Lauren, you can speak to the packaging piece if you want to. Let me unmute myself here. Yeah, yeah we definitely can help you with um, making it not look private label and really wowing and it wowing your customer. I mean, it really does depend on who your customer is and how we want to reach them. Um, but that's definitely we would be able, something we would be able to help you with. Okay. Oh, and I missed one. Can you help developing a serum? Only one product. Absolutely. I can. In fact, I have a serum that I've been using myself because I'm about, I'm going to be, I'm going to be 49 a week from today. So, so, uh, and that's kind of what's funny is I started making this stuff for me because I have sensitive skin and, um, and I, you know, and I, I, I read labels, right. And a perfect example, I was looking up Caudalie. Uh, they are a huge French company and they're all about viticulture and they use grape seed. That's great. I was on the website yesterday looking at it and there's sodium hydroxide in their ingredients list, which is lie. <laughs> I would never put lie on your face. So even though they started off as a very natural company, I'm now seeing ingredients on there that I would never in a million years want to see on an ingredient list. I have a lot, I have several friends that have eczema. And one of the issues is in order to dry out that eczema, they're putting some not so good things in those. And I have friends that'll send me a, here's an ingredients list. Should I buy this? And I'm like, absolutely not. Or yes, this looks good. So, so even being able to read ingredients is important because there's certain things you don't want to see on an ingredient list that you're putting on your face because yeah, it might dry it out. You know, I also don't add alcohol to any of my formulations. I think because I kind of grew up in the bath, the bath and body works phase. Uh, you know, where everybody was buying it. And of course it dries your skin out because it's loaded with alcohol. 
So even keeping alcohol to a minimum or completely out of your formulations are ways that you can help prevent issues. Um, some of the companies do it on purpose. You know, if you, if you dry your skin out now, you have to buy our lotion. And so keep that in mind. Some of it isn't even about your skin. It's a marketing ploy. Um, so it's really important to be able to build your own product with safe ingredients that is going to, you know, people are going to, their skin's going to be better after using it. They'll come back for sure. Let's see, did I miss anything? I just wanted to say, um, oh my God, where were you when I was doing this a few years ago? You, that has that is some kind of superstar presentation. Uh, every single point that anybody could have possibly asked about, you touched, and I just want to commend you for that because I were I um, struggled so much um, and spent so much money, and then I I gave up because there was just nothing, there was no one that would help me. You know, yeah. I, I thought I needed to start a lab. I needed, you know, I, I live in Florida, so that the loss here, you can't do cottage, you know, you can't do that. You can't right. make something at home. So there's then um, I'll go things, me things, uh, and there was very, very, I had to piecemeal it, like, some people would tell me one thing, another person would tell me another, you know, and you have like completely, um, I, I just, you know, I want to say it to the people that are in this room, like, this is really amazing. So mm -hmm. I'm just really impressed by your, by you. And um, also, I just want to say it's, uh, when can I start? <laughs> <laughs> well, give me a call or drop me an email. I would love to work with you. Actually, the AIDS serum is, is, yeah. Yeah, and I, I love this idea um, that you have where you're, um, you know, you can also like start with the, with the white label and all the things you mentioned, those are all the pitfalls that I went through, every single mistake, every single thing. I, I, I yeah, I'm just really like blown away. So thank you very much. Wow, amazing value to come here today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. That means a lot. So, uh, you know, I guess there's a natural born teacher in me, but I think it's important to share legit information with people. And I, I you know, it just FYI, I was Ashley Green's fourth formulator and I was the only one that got her CBD patches to actually work. And the reason is because I'm using chemistry, I'm using engineering and I'm going through the scientific process. And so, you know, that's, it's important to have someone who really understands those things and how these things work together. Um, and so, yeah, she actually recently had a baby. I sent her a baby loves uh, quantum physics set of books because I'm a big nerd and she loved them. And, uh, and I told her, I said, Hey, when are we going to do a, you know, a postpartum product together, you know, get the whole line going. So, uh, so yeah, I think it's really important to have someone that you, like you said, can answer all these questions and can hold your hand through this. You know, I, I've seen, I've had enough clients now that I know what the pitfalls are and where they get lost and where they just feel like abandoned. And that's the worst part of it all. You don't want to feel abandoned in this process. Uh, you want to feel supported. So, so I really appreciate that. Thank you, Vivi. And I just put in the chat um, her information just in case um, you weren't able to get it off the slide here. I also put in her um, Calendly uh, link and then also her website. Okay, yeah, and I was just looking to see. So yeah, uh, one to three products. I thought that was a really good feedback on that, depending on their, your budget. Uh, if you, yeah, so it really depends on your budget. If you can launch three products, great. You know, a whole set of products, great. But at the same time, you know, most people can't afford that. So one to two is really the best. 
And I even will say, you know, creating slightly different skews. Like if we did a day and a night cream that were both water-based, one's a little thicker and has maybe ceramide in it. And the day cream, you know, has hyaluronic and I'm only changing a little bit then I can definitely do it as, you know, only a thousand dollars more because I'm only changing it slightly as opposed to creating a whole new formulation. So, so those are ways too, I can work with people, you know, and say, Hey, for an extra thousand dollars, we could do a night cream. As long as it's very similar, we just tweak it a little bit, thicken it, add a different ingredient and then boom, now you have a day and a night you could sell together. So I think a lot of that comes into marketing and branding as well. You know, how do you want to, you know, do you want to sell something as a set or do you want to sell it individually? Um, and that's really up to you with your marketing and branding of your product. Absolutely. I would say one thing, like don't launch more than like six products in your first go. Sometimes people will come to me and they're, they want to launch like 12 products. And I don't recommend that at all. Like don't launch more than like five or six at the most. And ideally you don't want, you, you know, between one and three products when you're starting out or three to five, nothing more than that. Yes. And like she was saying, you know, your first impression is everything. So I think it's more important to have one or two high quality products that you've spent time. You've really gotten a chance to feedback. You're, you're, you're sending samples to everybody that you know, cause you're so excited about it. That's where we want you. And it's hard to get that excited about 12 products because there's always going to be a bum in the group, right? Like one that's kind of eh, that you're not that, you know, but Hey, we need a toner. Well, but do you need a toner that badly that you don't want to put out a really good toner? And especially in this day and age where there's so much competition for brands, I think it's so important to have that quality coming through from the beginning, taking the time to do it right and launching a smaller amount of products than to go for quantity, quality over quantity for sure. I agree. And there are plenty of brands that have launched with just one product and been successful. So, Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, we are at time. Thank you so much, Christine. I really appreciate your time and everything that you shared with us today. Thank you so much. And um, I'll see you guys all soon. And thank you, Christine.